Good morning, everybody. Nice to see everyone. My name is Sue Zappel. For any of you who I haven't met before, it's nice to see you all. I'm going to start our sit this morning with a poem from Lynn Unger. It's called The Way It Is. One morning, you might wake up to realize that the knot in your stomach has loosened itself and slipped away, and that the pit of unfulfilled longing in your heart had gradually, and without you really noticing, been filled in, patched like a pothole, not quite the same as it was, but good enough. And in that moment, it might occur to you that your life, though not the way you planned it, and maybe not entirely the way you wanted it, is nonetheless persistently, abundantly, miraculously exactly what it is. So, um, this, um, as many of you know, we um, this year is a year of threes. You know how the Buddha had all these lists of threes and fours and eights and tens. And the first three months of the year was on the three refuges, and um, April, May, and June is on the three characteristics of existence. We've spent a month on dukkha, or unsatisfactoriness. We've spent a month on anicca, or impermanence. And now we're in the second week of the month on anatta, or anatta. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced, or not self. Lyndall gave such a good talk last week introducing the topic and invited us all to continue our exploration just for folks who don't know, all of our talks are um, recorded, and usually it takes about a week for um, uh, Ken to put them up on the website, but they're all there, and I really encourage you to, if you missed um, Lyndall's talk, um, go back. It was a wonderful introduction. It's important to remember that, at least as I understand it, anatta is not no-self. It is not-self. That before enlightenment, there's a self, a sense of self, and after enlightenment, there's still a sense of self. But with all the wrong, without all those wrong views that are attached to it. Not-self is not about annihilation. We still wake up in the morning. We know where all of our things are. We make breakfast. We know how to do our jobs. We know how to drive to where we're going. And anatta is a huge topic. And each of us this um, month um, are just kind of scratching the surface. So I really encourage everyone to kind of deepen your own exploration and study of it. As I was preparing for this talk, I re-listened to talks by Christina Feldman, Joseph Goldstein, Gil Fronsdale, Winnie Nazarko, and our very own Tim Guile. And there's plenty of books and talks to listen to. Um, I think it can really help you understand this topic better. Um, so this morning, I'm going to continue that exploration. 
Lyndall started last week talking about how we find this topic so difficult. You know, dukkha is easier to understand and anicca or impermanence, but this one kind of rattles our brain. Um, But the teaching on not-self is really part of the heart of the teachings on the liberated heart and mind. The Buddha didn't reserve this teaching for only like those really experienced meditators or the elite folks on the path. He taught it to everyone. In fact, Christina Feldman mentioned that the teachings on not-self were in the very second discourse the Buddha ever gave. And while there are challenges with understanding not-self, when we actually practice and watch how things arise and pass away, and what we do with all these arisings and passings away, we can really see that the teaching of not-self is just kind of staring us in the face. The Buddha said that he taught about suffering and the end of suffering. And when we're suffering, we don't think so clearly. We tend to be all contracted and focused on just ourselves. And the teachings on not-self are a direct path to understand why all that suffering happens, what caused it, and what we can do to alleviate it. The true path to, to happiness, to the end of suffering, starts with right view. And there's a basic right view that underscores this teaching on anatta. One way of describing it is, there is no thing, inwardly or outwardly, that can be found with an independent self-existence or belonging to me. As Lyndall pointed out last week, the truth of of anicca, of impermanence, is closely tied to this truth that no thing can be found with an independent self-existence, that no thing can be found to be static, set, solid, unchanging. All things are impermanent. They arise, they pass away. So nothing inwardly or outwardly, anywhere in the world, has an independent existing existence. Nothing in the world is fixed, set in place, or static apart from our view of it. The sense of self is created through a view that believes that the phenomena that arise and pass away are fixed, solid, and permanent, and that we cling to them, we name them, we connect them with memories and emotions, and we make them our own. So with all the topics that, you know, for these five plus years that we've been talking about on Sundays, we do it in two parts. We talk about the teachings and um, we have Dharma talks and study and conversation. And then we also just practice with them. So I'm going to do a little bit of talking about the teachings and then some ideas about how to practice with them. Much of the teaching on anatta is found in the teaching on the five aggregates of clinging. In fact, Joseph Goldstein says that what's so important about these teachings on the five aggregates is that they provide a framework for our experiential analysis of what we call the self. I really like how Gil Fransdale describes these five aggregates. 
The first is form, is our contact with the world, our first contact with the sense doors. The second is how it makes us feel in the most primitive, simple way, that Vedana, the feeling tone. The third is perception, a label we put on it. The fourth of mental formations are all the ways we enlarge the experience with story, commentary, interpretation. And the fifth of consciousness, Gil says, is when we really get into the weeds. But consciousness in Pali, um, Gil says, means knowing or distinguishing. You can call it the discriminating knowing. And again, from another part of the teachings from the Abhidhamma, it says, there's no form. No feeling, no perception, no volitional formation, no consciousness that is permanent, stable, eternal, or not subject to change. The aggregates, all these experiences we have are all part of an endlessly passing show. Another way to, to see these five, and I don't know where I found this. I found this a few years ago, and I, don't, I have no idea where it comes from. But this is a way of seeing how the self shows up in each of these five and takes, takes a form and takes an identity. In form, that contact with life and with the body, the self is the occupant, the one who inhabits the body. In Vedana or feeling tone, the self is the beneficiary, the one who experiences pleasure and pain. In perception, the self is the artist, the one who expresses himself or herself. In formations, the self is the agent, the one who does the acts right and wrong. And in consciousness, the self is the essence, the one who consists of that, as in, I am that which is aware. I am that which sees, hears, thinks, etc. And as a response to these five ways that the sense of self shows up, one forms a view of self built around the primary assumption that I am the owner, the one to whom it all belongs. This is mine, this I am, this is myself. And yet, self is just a concept that we create over and over again. So while you are working with this, while you're developing your own cognitive understanding of the teachings on Anatta and the five aggregates, it's important to find ways to really practice with that understanding. In everything we've been talking about, on Monday nights, Thursday nights, Sunday mornings, everywhere, we always mix together the understanding of things cognitively, but really the goal of embodying the truth of the teachings, to know the felt sense, to embody the truth of it means to practice with it, both on the cushion and in our lives. So I have some suggestions about how we practice. The first comes from a talk from Gil Fronsdale, and he calls it zooming in, which is kind of Ironic, given that we've been zooming in for these last three years, but he says that 
he really encourages us to use the idea of a zoom lens so that we can examine closely what is happening in our bodies, hearts, and minds. You know, we many of us have had experience of zooming in, and I don't mean on, on Zoom, but like with our cameras and our phones and our computers. And for me, I'm a, an avid and mediocre bird watcher, and I've had so many experiences where I thought for sure I saw this thing with my naked eye, and then I bring up my binoculars, and it's something totally different. So we zoom in, and we see what's actually there. And we also start seeing the different elements of what's present in the moment. Gill goes on to describe that once we see these different elements, there starts to be some space between them. And with this space or spaciousness, there's a greater sense of awareness. Gill calls it a wide awareness, that kind of spacious quality where you're both seeing the elements, but you're also seeing those spaces between the elements. The other morning on the Tuesday morning drop-in sit, Tim talked about emptiness as being full. And I full from the way I took it was full of the totality of experience. And I think that's the same thing that Gil was calling, talking about with his spaciousness of wide awareness all of the elements of the present moment experience being seen. In the sit, I was encouraging us to really find that sense of quiet. When we can get quiet enough, we can actually see the arising of these different aggregates. And when we're really quiet, we can stop and say, wait a second, is this just a story? Is this just a mental formation that I've made up? Is this true or is it a thought tied with an old memory? We ask ourselves, what is actually happening in this moment? Or when we see and feel a feeling tone arise, a pleasant or unpleasant or neither, and again in this quiet, we can ask ourselves, what do I want to make out of this feeling tone? Can I just experience it as it is, just a sense of pleasant or unpleasant? And as we quiet and zoom in and gain understanding, we can see how we can get calmer and just less involved. We see this is just this moment, just this moment. And the awareness of that grows. You become more sensitive to what it's like when you get caught up in the feelings, the labels, the opinions, and you make it way more than just this moment. You see when you're stuck. And maybe maybe the seeing takes a while, and you saw where you were stuck last week. But even so, you're seeing when you're stuck. And each, each time we do this kind of zooming in, in that sense of quiet, Wisdom is being built. You're just more aware of how you got stuck in the first place, where it happened, at the contact or the feeling or the labeling. Practicing with the aggregates and how we experience the world through our senses and how we feel about it, label it. And we see also how we take ownership of it and we call it all me. And we can get caught up by any of these, but when we zoom in and really examine our experience, there's such a possibility of releasing some of that clutching and holding 
onto the way we've always seen and understood life. You zoom in and you see what was really happening and how you were clinging to any one of these aggregates. Another way is to really look at the body. When the Buddha was teaching, he encouraged investigating the sense of self by starting with something in the external world. And I think we've all heard these, um, this teaching about, you know, there used to be a lot of carts. And so he would say to people, you know, is the wheel the cart? Is the shaft or the axle the cart? Is the planking the cart? And everybody would say no. And, you know, that the cart is made up of various parts. And we can do the same kind of thing in understanding the body. You know, is the arm the body? Is this head the body? And so on. And starting with our bodies, we can really see that our bodies are a collection of ever-changing conditions. I recently read about how often our bodies, all the cells in our bodies are replaced. And this, I, I assume this is a true statement, that 330 billion cells are replaced daily, which is equivalent to about 1% of all of them. In 80 to 100 days, 30 trillion will have been replenished, the equivalent of a new you. So just as our bodies are constantly changing, so is this sense of self, a convenient name for a collection of constantly changing physical and mental factors. So we can zoom in, we can explore the body as a collection of changing conditions. And then I think it's helpful also to take a look at the word itself, anatta. Christina Feldman's the first teacher I ever heard to transform that word or that those two words, not self, into a process word, a verb that she calls selfing. Selfing, a verb. You know, verbs are by their very nature fluid and moving and changing. And by using this verb, we can see how making things mine and all about me and getting stuck is a process. Not too long ago when uh, Rodney Smith, our founding teacher, did it a weekend. He talked about the thinning and thickening of the sense of self. So he's referring it to a, to a process as well. And this process of selfing contains a beginning. In each moment, there are these aggregates, the sounds, sights, shapes, colors, thoughts, images, mental states, mood. In this flow of conditions... When we're quiet, we can even see, and I bet each of you have had this experience where you can see the moment when a view arises about one of the elements of this flow, and when we attach to that, and we make it into something that it really isn't. So when we quiet down, we zoom in, and we watch all this as a process, we can really gain a greater understanding of what this selfing is about. And we realize that a self that doesn't change can't be found. You know, that the sense of self of me is formed from the dominant mood of the moment. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you wake up in the morning, do you choose what kind of self is going to show up? It seems like it's just an accident kind of 
you know, an, a cosmic accident, you know, and certainly um, uh, we're a compilation of our genes, our family of origin, all the experiences we have. Christina says that the self and selfing gets born in our responses to contact perception, all the memories. The sense of I comes at those sounds, those perceptions, those wanting and not wanting. And when that happens, it's just one moment of selfing. It feels so real. But the self is a narrative. The self is a story in and of itself. And it's a true story on one level. You know, I exist, you exist, we make choices, we read, we clean our houses, we own businesses, we do all of that. But it's still a story and one that changes as new moments arise. One of the things that I got from one of Christina's talks is her pointing out that when we're really scared or anxious or filled with afflictive emotions, we're really upset. Those seem to be the times when the sense of self is the loudest voice with the longest story. And when there's a lot of me in it, there's also a lot of you in it. There's a lot of othering. But then there are those times when we're calm and and spacious and ease, at ease and quiet and generous and we feel connected and relaxed. Those are the times when there's that least sense of me and mine and who I am and what belongs to me. So there's zooming in, there's looking at the body, there's understanding selfing as a process. And then just as I offered this morning in our guided sit, there's a way of making an intention, not only for our sits, but maybe for each day. Um, I suggested an intention that I'm going to just be with whatever arises. Just that, I mean, it's a pretty big intention to say, okay, when something arises, I'm not going to push it away. I'm not going to hate it. I'm not going to see it as a problem. I'm just going to be with it. Whatever intentions really work for you, that's a nice way of also bringing that sense of zooming and attention. With all of this, it's important to bring some patience to this practice. Sometimes we think that meditation and this practice is just a ramp that goes straight up, but it's really more of a spiral. Those of us who've been practicing a while, and even a short time, you sit and you go, oh my God, this again? I thought I had already worked through this. How come this is up again? And those moments of selfing, and it's all about me, they're going to keep arising. You know, because a lot of times we walk through life thinking that we're the center of the universe. So everything is always all about me. You know, when the mind states or preferences arise and they all seem so familiar, we think this must be who I am. Here they are again. You know, I'm always scared, so I must be a scared person. Or I'm always anxious, I must be an anxious person. But then when you actually look at what happens with those 
events and experiences where fear or anxiety came up and and in the end you actually worked them through are you still a scared or anxious person many of us subscribe to the daily um, offerings from Utajaniya, a Burmese master Burmese teacher and quite a number of months ago one of his daily offerings was this he said we can take heart in the fact that after all of the effort we put in at some point the Dhamma sort of comes in takes you by the hand and shows you the way and I'd like to offer to each of us that studying and practicing with the five aggregates and with the truth of not self and selfing really creates those conditions for the Dhamma to come in, take us by the hand, and show us the way. So thank you very much for your attention. And, um, you know, as I said, these talks on Anatta, they're just scratching the surface. This is a big one. And um, I really encourage people to decide to take it on. Um, in whatever way, you know, maybe it's just creating an intention. Maybe it's um, looking at those five ways that the self shows up, you know, the occupant, the beneficiary, the artist, the agent, or the essence. There are all kinds of ways to really look at with, with a softness, with a tenderness, with no judgment, you know, how much of your daily life and your daily sit is all about me. This is mine. This is who I am. This belongs to me. Me, 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 me. And, um, you know, maybe have some humor about it as well. Um, uh, I think Philip often, often talks about how we think we're the star of our own show. You know, that center of the universe. There's this movie and I'm the star. And... <laughs> And we walk through life that way. And um, it's really humbling when a good Dharma friend kind of points it out to you that you're doing a lot of that. So this is a good time for anyone who has to leave. I know Judith already was able to. Um, and um, those of you who can stay, sharing with Dharma friends is such a wonderful way of deepening our understanding of hearing how other people are working with it we're all in this together you know we're all here on the path and that's what's so beautiful about sangha so if you can stay please do so just a little reminder about breakout groups that we really practice open-hearted listening try to listen without preparing what you're going to say next because Whatever you have to say is going to come easily anyway. You really don't have to prepare. I'm a terrible preparer, but, you know, anyway, try it. Um, we're not giving each other advice. We're just receiving and learning from each other. So um, you'll have a full 15 minutes, and I'll give you a warning. Um, and um, enjoy your groups. Welcome back. I hope um, I hope you all had a good conversation with each other and 
we've got time now to, if you want to share any of your own practice with selfing and zooming in or whatever and how this all is working for you. And I think you should be able to unmute or you can just either wave your hand or put up a under the reactions button, you can find a way of raising your hand. It would be lovely to, one of the downsides of being the leader is that you don't get to be in a breakout group. Yes, Kelby first and then Sean and Bruce. Um, I just wanted to say that Jean, I like your name on Zoom right now. At first I read it and I was like, what? And then I got it and I was like, <laughs> so, thank you for that. <laughs> we could all change it, you know. Sue's not Sue's, Kelby not Kelby. Yeah. <laughs> or we could all change our names. Uh, Sean and Bruce. Hi. Hi. I'm cracking up because now everybody is identifying themselves with these pronouns. I think that's the best one. Not, not Sean. I'm not Sean. Um, well, we had a really great group I, and I, I can't even describe it because it was, it was without words. But one thing I want to share is I had shared uh, quite a while ago that I I correspond with um, this man, e- Eli, who's in prison. And he's been following along. He's in our sangha, if you don't know. We brought him into our sangha. And he's been following along with, we, he got involved when we were doing um, the ox herding, herding pictures. And now we're doing all of this. And he, I just got a letter from him yesterday. And it says uh, one line, and I, I laughed. Um, Please break this down for me. Quote, there is, quote, no self to build up. I have read this plenty, plenty, plenty times in my studies. I know this concept is very essential in our path. So please give me simple terms on such. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. I know this is not the first guy that's asked me to explain not self. So I have a, a task ahead of me to fly on this. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot through the, this month. And, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know what to say really. It's little bits and pieces coming to, coming together in my own experience. But anyway, hello from, hello from Eli. And he says, remember, I'm a part of your guys' sangha <laughs> in this letter, Eli. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. You know, Sean, thank you so much for your service in that way, for connecting with somebody who is probably so hungry for that kind of connection. And um, isn't it something that when you are asked by somebody who's not familiar with our terms and our process, to talk about what does this mean for you, it really deepens our own understanding. But, you know, so what the hell am I talking about here, you know? And good for you, and maybe you'll share with us what you come up with, because I'd be interested. <laughs> yeah, I think we could all benefit. I mean, what would what would any of us say? Yeah. Um, and that could be that could be our homework, huh? We could exactly. all come up with what, some what, things what, to share. How, yeah, how would you answer answer Eli? You know, um, yeah, only by your own experience can yeah. you do answer a question like this. And yeah, one of the 
one of the easiest ways for me f at first to get into it were all the ways that I've, all the different labels that I've taken on as, as who I am mm -hmm. and how they've all fallen, fallen away over time. And then I go, well, if, like, if I'm no longer the junk lady, you know, well, then what's my, you know, I no longer am this and that. And, um, uh, and I, I remember um, a talk by, um, I think it was Donald Rothberg, who um, played this game with his daughter where um, they would sit across from each other and he would say, I'm not your father. And she'd say, I'm not, not your daughter. And they would play around with who they were, you know, and just a playful way. But I think some of those labels, for me, that's that would helped me a lot to just kind of loosen the grip on those labels that I, I take on. Even even when I'm doing it frivolously, they still seem to stick. So um, I, I look forward to hearing from you, Sean, as to what you're going to share. Cheryl and Kathy. Yeah. Um, for me, not self is not, is the practice of not self is mostly in not taking things personally. And, um, and also, you know, lately the, um, the addition of, because I, I went through a time where not self felt very nihilistic and, you know, especially when I wasn't, when the narrative was, was harsh. And so, um, so it's also, really refreshing to really understand that not self means being part of the whole, not, not separated from it. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's just really, really helpful for me right now. And yeah. Uh, yeah. thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I think you should repeat it because it was so good that yeah. not self <laughs> is being part of the whole. Part of the mm -hmm. whole. Yeah. yeah. Yay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, the Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings around that are so helpful. I find, you know, that, uh, reminding us how connected we are with people. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. I mean, Cheryl. I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm you, Cheryl, not Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, Sean and Bruce, did you have something more to add? Yes, Bruce. This is not Bruce. <laughs> um, I may have had an experience of that of not self this morning. Um, I, I woke in the morning with uh, grief about a conversation we had yesterday with the husband of my cousin who died in, recently, um, very suddenly. And um, I was pretty, pretty upset about it because it reminds me of my life. Um, and then I thought to call my uh, niece, um, Who's not, not in the family, not in the family that just had the loss, um, related though. Um, and just to ask her how she's doing because her mother had an operation this week. And, uh, long story short, she started talking about how, how she had had a rough week because her dog suddenly died. And I listened to her and I gave advice and, um, was there just with her. Um, and then we said goodbye and came to this. And I realized that I had totally changed. My feeling tones were totally different than they were this morning. 
And maybe that's because I got out of myself or something. I went into another, uh, a more expanded place. And maybe that's, maybe that's not self. And also back to what Cheryl was saying, you were connected to your niece and another's life. And um, yeah. And then the, the moods that just come and go and there's no control over it. That's another way of, of understanding the not self that, you know, um, are we in charge of what that mood was when you woke up or what, what happened when you were just coming into this set and the mood was totally different? Yeah. Who, who, who ran that show? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to not get mad at myself when I'm in a bad mood because Maybe I don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. There's so much wisdom in this group. Thank you all so much. So in our last minute, um, just to um, bring us back to this place of quiet and deep gratitude for the practice and for the Sangha, Many of you know that one of our local Dharma leaders, Jerry Harder, had a stroke some weeks ago and he's still in the hospital and we send to Jerry our deepest heartfelt wishes for full healing and recovery. Thank goodness for healthcare and he's being well taken care of. And, um, and just as we're sending to Jerry our wishes for safety and good health and ease. May we extend that wish to all of us here, to all of those in our small communities and larger communities. May we all live with ease and with peace. And I feel very grateful for all of you and thank you for being part of this Sunday morning and be well, everyone. Bye-bye.